So we get a ding from an email. You and I cognitively know that that's not actually a danger, right? Like you're not in physical danger. But if you are afraid of feedback from your boss and you see it's from your boss, immediately your brain and nervous system, your primitive brain and nervous system go into like danger mode. They're like tigers here. We need to run, right? Like, so in that moment, when you notice something happening in your body, that might be fear. Or as you said, with your example of comparison, shame, when we notice something happening in our body, pausing, noticing, maybe I feel afraid right now. You can name it for yourself and then saying I'm safe. Right. It's just Mm. giving yourself that safety by reminding your brain and body we're safe right now. Everything is okay. I'm not in harm's way. I have everything I need in this moment. Right. And you'll find the words that kind of work for you. For a lot of people, it's really just I'm safe right now. Welcome to Medium Lady Talks. I'm your host, Erin Vandeven. I'm a millennial and mother trying to build the place in the world that's made for me while fighting burnout, living intentionally, and embracing gratitude, even when I'm grumpy. Here on Medium Lady Talks, we visit the topics and practical tips that will help you maximize self-discovery and minimize self-judgment so you can finally get momentum building the life you know is possible in this post-pandemic world. On this podcast, you can expect we'll get deep while having fun, and whether you're burnt out like a dog in a dumpster fire or celebrating your best life daily, you'll find the conversations, prompts, and tools I know will be helpful on your own personal healing journey. So stay tuned for my deep dive solo shows and interview episodes with dear friends and expert guests. Together, we'll make sure you have what you need to build the place in the world that's made for you. I'm so glad you're here. So let's jump in. Hello, hi, and welcome to Medium Lady Talks. I'm your host, Erin, and today... I am here with Cecilia Mandrick, who is a life coach for high achievers. And Cecilia, I was immediately captivated by your content on Instagram, and I reached out and was really hoping, had my fingers crossed, you'd be willing to come on the podcast today and chat with the Medium Lady audience. So Cecilia, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am so thrilled to be here. And I was, whenever people follow me, I kind of, if they have a public account, look around. And I was very excited when you followed me too. So (laughs) thanks for inviting me and I'm excited to be here. That's great. I think it was an algorithm match. Sometimes the algorithm works in our favor. So yeah. Um, Cecilia, let's just dive right in. You know, tell us who are you? What are you all about? And then we'll really get into the meat of um, some of your subject matter expertise. I'm Cecilia. And as Aaron mentioned, I'm a life coach. And my tagline is that I help high achievers make their brain a calmer place to be. And the caveat to that is without making radical changes to their lives. So you don't need to um, quit your job and burn your life down and move to Costa Rica to surf full time to start to feel calm, that we can start to get you to where you want to be feeling how you want to be in the life you want right now. My like short background, my short bio is my first career was in oil and gas. I was a geologist. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I worked offshore. That's incredible. On rigs. Yep. I did. I did the whole thing um, and was really unhappy there. And managed Mm. to use a lot of mindfulness and mindset work to get to a place of contentment in that life and then made a lot of changes. Um, After that, I spent a lot of time 
learning and implementing and practicing mindset and mindfulness tools in different areas. And so I use those now when I coach with folks. That's amazing. And so naturally, my next question is going to be, how does one get to be from a geology background, geology work to life coaching for high achievers? Do you still work in the field? In geology? Mm -hmm. No. So I left, I actually had my crossover of amount of time in geology as an adult and amount of time out of geology. So I left the industry um, a, a little over eight years ago. So I spent eight, about eight years there and then have been out for eight years, um, which is kind of neat actually to look back and think that my professional life outside of geology has been just as long because it really felt when I was there that, I don't know, I could never be anything but a geologist. But the path looked like creating contentment and happiness where I was really. And I worked with a coach and also did a lot of mindfulness practices. So I I used yoga and meditation. Had to take a lot of courageous steps, honestly. Um, I, like mm. a lot of high achievers, had my identity totally wrapped up in what I did and who I was and the fact that I had this high paying career and I got, I was an expat. So I got to live overseas and traveled a lot for work to then stopping. And I actually ended up, I lived in a closet of a yoga studio for a while when I quit geology, traveled around. I didn't really know what I was going to do. And so it was a path of kind of letting myself figure it out uh, a bit organically to get to where I am now. Yeah, it's funny. We could have a whole hour conversation about just my transition probably from geology to- Oh my gosh. Well, like, hey, I'm happy to get into whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to get into. So your present area of subject matter expertise is, you know, this approach to coach and work with high achievers to make their brains a calmer place to be without completely overhauling their life. And I think that was probably where you had me immediately because I would identify with being a high achiever. I also would identify with someone whose brain is not a calm place to be. Getting my brain to a more calm place often feels like it really would require me to completely overhaul my life. And that is something that feels impossible. Tell me a little bit more about, you know, the story that brought you to that. Why high achievers? I think as with so many people who end up in probably specifically coaching, but sometimes counseling is that it's, there's some version that that person has lived, right? Often some of the best coaches for folks who want to, for instance, improve their marriage, have gone through a very tumultuous time in their own marriage and they've gotten through it, right? Mm. Or I can think of a specific friend who um, is a breakup coach and she went through a really, really hard breakup and now works with people going through breakups. For high achievers, I would consider myself a high achiever and also was not, my brain was not a calm place to be. I think on the surface, people would have thought that I had a really calm brain or that I all had, you know, had it all together, right? That's how I presented all the time, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but was totally like worried all the time and felt like I was about to fail, kind of felt like I was spinning a million plates in the air. And if one of them dropped, it would all kind of come crashing down, you know, things I needed to be the best version of myself and kind of was a big people pleaser, was really into perfectionism in a really very, very kind of unhealthy way. And I managed to get through it. And then I helped support a few other people through it. And I was like, this is actually really fun. This is what I really love doing. Um, and it for me, when I made big changes in my life, I, I ended up spending a lot of years practicing yoga 
and realized while I love yoga, most people aren't willing to do 90 minutes of yoga a day for several years mm. before they <laughs> they see outcomes in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so I set about thinking, how could I incorporate a more cognitive, tangible way of working with people that that people might be able to see faster results, right? That they That they wouldn't have to commit to a year of yoga 90 minutes a day to actually see changes in their lives. Hmm. I want to go back to that part that you said about, you know, um, having been a high achiever, having not felt like your brain was a calm place to be, but everybody on the outside probably felt like, oh, Cecilia is just one of those people. She just has it all together. I don't know how she does it. You know, like you hear that phrase every now and then, but you were leaning into perfectionism in an unhealthy way. If somebody listening right now is like, yeah, I identify with that. That sounds like me. Can you peel apart a little bit more about how one might self-diagnose that one is leaning into perfectionism in an unhealthy way? Because I might make a few assumptions based on my own lived experience, but I would love to hear, you know, from your from your expertise, you know, where your clients show up and you can really you can really pinpoint that. Totally. So I feel like high achievers, when they're when we're leaning into perfectionism in a kind of unhealthy way. What we're doing is like everything does look great on the outside, right? But inside we feel like a failure and we feel like if we're not the best, if we're not on top of it, then somebody's going to find out, right? We're always kind of, (laughs) we're kind of afraid that somebody one day is going to like figure out that we're not 100% perfect. Yeah. And then everything will come crashing Mm -hmm. down, right? And so we feel a lot of pressure to always be at the top of our game, right? To always be the best, to always even be telling ourselves that we haven't quite made it Mm -hmm. because we're afraid that if we feel like we made it and even if we celebrate, if we kind of get to that place where we feel like, oh, I've done a good job, that we'll let our guard down and that's when it'll all fall apart, right? That's when people will find out we're not actually perfect (laughs) or we're not actually as good as we say we are. Um, So usually like celebration is very hard. You Mm. use things like shame for motivation. Mm -hmm. Um, You feel like you have that, that kind of sense that sinking sense inside you that somebody's going to know, right? That you're not as good as they think you are, that it's almost impostery in that kind of way. Yeah. And that if anyone were to, that would probably be the end of the world. Totally. Everything, like everything would end, right? All of a sudden you'd be fired from your job. Your partner would leave you if you have a partner. You'd like end up on the street, right? Your brain has this catastrophic place that it goes to of like, Mm -hmm. someone definitely is going to find this out. And when they do find it out, it's all over. And so I just can't let my guard down because no one can know that I'm not perfect. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not I've been nodding this whole time. (laughs) I've been nodding this whole time. Yeah, definitely. The reason this is so relatable to me is one of the sort of big parts of my own origin story was I had a job that I got a lot of praise for doing well, and I took a maternity leave in September of 2019. Here in Canada, we can take a year of maternity leave. And what I experienced was postpartum depression that at the time I didn't realize was related to this identity crisis of having, I felt like I'd lost my job, to be honest with you. I was struggling, and that was very much hormone-induced as well, but I was struggling because I sort of felt like I had lost that gratification of 
of, of my job, telling me that I was a good person, telling me that I was okay. And that sort of sense that like, if people find out that I'm not really much unless I have my job, it felt like everything was sort of crashing down around me. And I think that one of the biggest things I had to do was sort of rebuild my identity with a disconnect from the ways that I serve other people in the world. And that has had to come with realizing that my perfectionism exists to serve other people, not to serve me. Because once you start to kind of disconnect yourself from needing validation from other people, you realize that you are plugged into losing it all, right? That you're you're sort of yeah. like, yeah. who am I if I don't have that threat of everything coming crashing down? Right. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the other piece that I didn't that I didn't mention is like the external validation piece. And I think if we're always looking, we're almost trained to look for external validation. If you've gone through a more traditional school yep. system, right, getting the yep. gold stars or the A's or the tens or however your school grades, right? And we say in like that traditional fixed mindset way of when I get the gold stars, that means I'm a mm -hmm. good person. Once I know I'm a good person, then I know that I can continue succeeding. But because we're always relying on external validation and our brain actually always discounts that in some way, it's never quite enough, mm. right? Which creates that loop of always kind of feeling a little bit like a failure or like everything's about to come down because you're not creating it yourself. And so you always almost doubt it a little bit too, right? There's not agreement within you. And so someone says, wow, you're, you're doing really well. You're amazing at your job. And there's some part, but like, what if I'm not great tomorrow, right? Like, what if the, this is like something that can go away, right? Yeah. And then it's like becomes that whole identity that you just spoke of. And I mean, the whole identity of matrescence and becoming a mother and changing identities is like a whole other topic we could talk about with high achievers, because I think that that's such yeah. an interesting <laughs> one, especially with a year of maternity leave, right? In the US mm -hmm. with our kind of super short maternity leave. I think in some ways we almost shortcut that. Like we almost don't mm. let ourselves become a new person because we don't have enough space yep. there. But like a year, you actually do have to grapple with it, right? There's like a year where you're not getting that validation from your job. And then all of a sudden, like, well, who am I if I'm not top performer at XYZ company, right? Or as a teacher in the school or whatever it is. No, it's so true. And it's not only that, but it's like the shame of admitting that I was really addicted to that validation and that the validation of being a mother and having a beautiful newborn wasn't enough for me. You yeah. know, like, why isn't just being a mom enough for you? And and the funny thing was, it was my third child. So I'd had, this yeah. was my third cycle. And I felt like I should be good at this by now. I've left work twice before. But I think it was just um, a combination of so many things that really just made it made it really hard. I want to go back to something you said, because I've never thought about it before. And I want to talk more about it. You said there's external validation, there's internal validation. Our brain discounts external validation. Can you talk more about that? I think this is such a key point in what I do in coaching and kind of one of the premises of causal coaching. And it's that nobody else around you can create an internal feeling for you. So mm. we often told if my partner takes out the trash every day, then I can feel happy, right? Like if some mm -hmm. side of me happens, then I'll feel happy. Mm -hmm. But really what happens is we have a thought, oh, my partner took out the trash. That means he loves me. Then I feel happy, right? There's right. like this, this missing link that we kind of don't think about. And with validation, 
What we think is when my boss says I do a good job, then I feel validated. But really what's happening is my my boss said you did a good job. And then your brain thinks something about it, right? Like we have an interpretation and identity component of it. And your brain has to 100% be on board and say like, that's enough. But if you're always looking for external validation, it's almost never enough because you have to keep like feeding the hopper, right? You need it to keep coming in because you're not doing mm-hmm. it yourself. You're relying on it outside of you. And your brain, it just seems like it it never 100% agrees, even if people don't have like a strong imposter syndrome component, right? If they're looking mm. for, if they're looking outside of them, it's never quite enough. When you create internal validation, when you feel like you did a good job, no matter what your boss says, suddenly you can find that peace and the calmness and the happiness because you've created the feeling yourself, right? It's coming from this internal place, which is a much stronger, deeper well that you can draw from. Can I paraphrase what you just explained? Because I've really never thought of it this way. Is it's that when I take in external validation, it feels good. However, my brain will always have to translate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when my brain translate it, translates it, it will match it up against my belief system. Yep. And so when my belief system is you're not perfect and everyone will find out and somebody says, hey, that was a really good job, it immediately feels good, but then it gets translated by your belief system and then you lose that sense of feeling good and you go and you look for it again. Exactly. If you can translate the belief system to say, I do a good job, I am a good person, then you can translate Maybe not translate external validation when your boss says you're go- you're doing a good job. You're like, yes, that matches my belief system. But you also don't need that because your belief system has already been corrected. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like cherry on top. I love the way you said it because that's exactly what's happening. You're You're kind of running it by your belief system. And when you have that perfectionist like, well, I'm not quite good enough. Or if they saw how I just kind of like skimmed over that one part of the report that I created and they wouldn't say I was doing a good job, right? Or if they, yeah, if they yeah. knew that I also spent like 15 minutes online shopping while I was doing this, then they wouldn't be as like happy, right? Or whatever it is, right? <laughs> if they knew like that kind of thing, right? If they only knew, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they only knew. Oh my knew. gosh, so often. <laughs> right? So there's that little part of your brain that says like, but if they only knew, right? Or Oftentimes, because we also use shame as a motivator when we're in this kind of high, um, high okay. achiever cycle, you're, that val- external validation comes in. It's matched up against this, against this like shame as motivation. And you can't, oh. if you think about how hard it is to celebrate as a high achiever, you almost can't be in celebration of this external validation because it doesn't match with the, but we have to feel bad to keep going kind of thing too, right? Like, I need to shame myself so I can keep performing at this level. I I really, I know how bad shame is, right? Like, I've done enough of the work to know just how toxic this is in my life. But I have never thought about how my shame keeps me performing, ever, until you said, shame is motivation and we have to feel bad to keep going. And... One of the huge traps for me is comparison. Totally. However, I would never say comparison makes me feel shame, and that's why it's a trap for me. I would just say comparison is just generally something I have to be really careful about. But it's because comparison leads me to shame, which then generally leads me to feeling like I have to rev up and be anxious and perform something so that I can 
either match up or supersede or feel like I'm enough in context of whatever I'm comparing comparing myself to. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's so interesting because what it does is it, you just made the beautiful connection between something you're thinking and how we feel. And then that relates to our actions, right? So all the mm-hmm. thoughts that we have in our head relate to how we feel in our day, right? They create feelings in our body. That's how we feel happy mm-hmm. or validated or shameful and guilty and embarrassed and all those And then when we act from those emotions, right? So you have the thought like, I'm not as good as so-and-so. You feel a little bit of shame. Mm -hmm. And then there's something in your body that's like, okay, now we're not safe. We need to do things to try and get safe because we feel the shame because we're comparison, right? And that's when you get stuck in the cycle. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you brought up the word safe because that is one of my favorite pieces of content that you've made, which is about reminding ourselves that Um, in the moments where we start to feel overwhelmed or we're starting to get revved, and I'm paraphrasing, you'll probably remember it, is to like remind ourselves that we're safe in the present moment. And it's very fast. It works very quickly. It's so powerful, isn't it? I mean, I think people like, it's so interesting how many, I always get lots of positive feedback about that, or wow, I can't believe this works. Or I shared it with my child who has anxiety, and they were able to use it and it works. And so I'll just I'll kind of go through it here for your listeners. Yeah, please do. Please do. Because I'm tying in mindfulness and mindset, and a lot of coaching focuses only on the thoughts, which is what we've kind of been talking about so far. When we pull in the mindfulness, what the underlying principles there are nervous system regulation and creating bodily safety. And that's something that Mm. has become more talked about, but I think nervous system regulation is kind of thrown around and it sounds a little fancy and how do you do it and how do you actually access it? Mm -hmm. But really what you want to, what we're doing is we're moving our nervous system from danger mode to safe mode. And there are a couple ways to do that pretty easily. One is to take a slow breath or kind of a double inhale, slow exhale breath. And the other is Mm -hmm. to verbally tell yourself you're safe in the moment. And you can even look around and note what you have and that you are in a safe position and that you're not in physical danger. And that does a really powerful reset for your brain and for your body. Because ultimately, when we're feeling shame or fear or even guilt and embarrassed, there feels like there's a threat to us. And our brains and nervous systems are really terrible about discerning the magnitude of threat and if it's actually bodily harm threat, right? So we get a ding from an email you and I cognitively know that that's not actually a danger, right? Like you're not in physical danger. But if you are afraid of feedback from your boss and you see it's from your boss, immediately your brain and nervous system, your primitive brain and nervous system go into like danger mode. They're like tigers here. We need to run, right? Like, so in that moment, when you notice something happening in your body, that might be fear. Or as you said, with your example of comparison, shame, when we notice something happening in our body, pausing, noticing maybe I feel afraid right now. You can name it for yourself. And then saying I'm safe, right? It's just Mm. giving yourself that safety by reminding your brain and body we're safe right now. Everything is okay. I'm not in harm's way. I have everything I need in this moment, right? And you'll find the words that kind of work for you. For a lot of people, it's really just I'm safe right now. And that can take Mm -hmm. your adrenaline down. It can take your nervous system back into that beautiful parasympathetic rest, digest, create, connect space. Your cognitive brain comes back online. Suddenly life is so much easier, right? Mm -hmm. Suddenly you can actually think in the moment instead of feeling that um, 
feeling that kind of heightened sense of, I don't know what's happening. I don't know, you know, my next steps, that kind of worry, anxiety loop that we can get into. Mm -hmm. I love it. I don't know if you've seen some of the jokes and memes that bosses have started putting calendar requests in and saying like, one-on-one good news because they understand how triggering these, oh, my boss has like called me in for a meeting at the end of the day and everything's over. It's all, you know, like- Yeah, I'm getting fired. um, (laughs) That's right. That's right. You know, and we're always going to the worst case scenario and then everything turns out to be fine. And we're like, well, I really hate, hate that I wasted my day spending time in the thoughts and feelings and maybe behaviors that appeared because I believe I'm not good enough. And I felt shamed and scared from this meeting invite from my boss, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that touches on how creative our brains can be, right? You could just have a meeting, a (laughs) meeting, and all it says is like, one on one catch up, right? It could just be that there could be like no context at all, right? And so many of us, especially if we're in this high achiever, not calm brain club, we suddenly will create all the stories about all the things we've done wrong, all the things we're going to get in trouble for. Like we've we've been called into the principal's (laughs) office, right? And we're lucky Mm -hmm. if that chat is on the same day, right? Some days it's like four days in advance. And so you get to spend like the next four days being like, what is it? Like, what does he want? Why am I being called in? What is she like going to get me in trouble for, right? And we're just spin and spiral instead of pausing, I'm safe right now. I actually don't know the context of this meeting. If I wanted to, I could even ask, what is the one-on-one about, right? If I if I got really curious and I felt safe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another question could be like, what if this went better than I expected, right? Like, what if this yep. meeting could be something really great? Like, what if I was getting a raise or getting praise or they were telling me how how great everything had been going? But our brains never go there, do they? <laughs> I mean, not without a lot of work. Like, yeah. you know, and I think and, and a lot of personal reflection and investment in noticing these kinds yeah. of things, because if you don't notice, you probably suffer until it's over. But I do feel like there's a lot of collective conversation, especially amongst millennials, to talk more and more about how our thoughts impact our feelings, which impact our actions. And I think that that's great. I think the tools are hard to come by. Uh, Something else I love that you said recently was we shouldn't have to subscribe to an app for $30 a month to have our brains be a calm place to be. And I do think that there is this really healthy market of, you know, it's like, take my money. If 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 you're going to make my brain a calm place to be, like, please, here here you go. But I think that um, the tools feel like they are for certain people and not for everyone. Yeah, the post that that you're mentioning, I had actually I showed a picture of one of my clients created a a scheduling kind of an old school analog scheduling wall, actually, that involved tape, like painter's Mm -hmm. tape or something like that and post-its. And she was replacing an app that was $30 a month that used AI to kind of rearrange your schedule for you. But it wasn't really working for her. And oftentimes when people come to me, they've been buying the apps and the hacks and the books, and they Mm -hmm. think there's something wrong with them because they don't always work for us, right? And I think ultimately Mm -hmm. using some of these tools, their actions... And if we are trying to change our actions without changing our thoughts or emotions, no matter what the action is, it's Mm -hmm. still going to feel the same, right? Because we haven't changed that underlying belief system that's kind of, we're kind of running everything by that filter that we're running everything through. And so if we can create 
I mean, I'm sure it's a fine software, whatever she was using, right? And there's nothing wrong with a lot of these. <laughs> some of them can be really helpful, right? They can be like some of the habit trackers are amazing, right? There's nothing wrong with them. But you have to pair them with something else, right? You have to kind of start further upstream or get like more to the root of what's happening in your belief system. I like otherwise, that. Yeah, because otherwise we're just like putting another Band-Aid on the same problem. And we're like, oh, that Band-Aid's full of blood mm-hmm. again. And then we're like, I just, I guess I need another brand of Band-Aid, <laughs> right? And you go get a different brand of Band-Aid and you put it on. You're yeah. like, that one's bloody too now. And like, sorry, this is a little bit of a gruesome example, but that's what we end up <laughs> doing, right? We like just keep buying like different Band-Aids and we're like, why isn't the Band-Aid working? And we're like, well, you kind of have to stop what's happening, right? You have to stop the thing upstream that's cutting you. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're still going to have the cut and it's still going to keep bleeding no matter what what band-aid you use and how Mm. fancy and amazing it is. Yeah, I really love that. One of the things that I've been focused on this month of November, because as I mentioned with my postpartum depression, realizing that with the help of my therapist, that I was really going to have to sort of be dedicated to recreating my identity or at least unpeeling parts of my identity that had not been nourished or nurtured in a long time. One of those things was about being honest about how I was lacking creativity and self-expression in a way that was just sort of fun for me. Mm. And then that led to me starting this podcast because I'd wanted to have a podcast for 10 years. And I really think that I was very much trapped in this cycle of thinking that I wasn't good enough to have a podcast And feeling like if there was only something I could do to earn the right to start my own podcast, and then the actions, I guess, that followed would be consuming and consuming and consuming a ton of podcasts, but never actually going for it. And I really want to spend some of the time for the episodes this month on getting out of your own way. Yeah. Like when I look back and I really think about why I didn't start a podcast 10 years ago, it's because I decided I couldn't start a podcast. There really was not anything objectively true that was in my way that was keeping me from starting a podcast. Certainly, my life 10 years ago was infinitely more straightforward and simple than it is now. And yet here I am, you know, we're like 90 episodes in and et cetera, et cetera. And it's really about helping people get out of their own way. So when I say that, you know, help people get out of their own way, and we're talking about perfectionism and shame and the thoughts that drive us, what do you think when your clients come to you and you see people then they want things, they want to aspire to things, they're high achievers, they want to achieve. What are the things that you think are are doing that, are, are keeping them in their own way? Um, I love the question. And I'm going to back up even just a little bit before I get to that. Because when I think about my why behind what I do, it is to help people get out of their own way, right? And Mm. creating a brain that is calm, and a nervous system that's calm and a body that's calm, for me, I think is key to people being who they want to be in the world and doing Mm. the things that only they can do in the world, right? We have to in this like calm place, we have to have kind of accepted ourselves totally and like worked through some of the perfection Mm. and people pleasing and those kinds of things so that then we can start our podcast or write that fiction book that we've really want to been like have been writing or apply for the job that we've always wanted to do or start our own company or parent it in a different way, right? Whatever it is, is to start to kind of show up differently because you feel calmer, right? So I love the question. Mm. And then remind me of exactly what it was again, so I can make sure that I answer it. 
So what is your advice for people to how do they get out of their own way? So it's to start to be calm. And then I guess maybe we could talk a little bit if the if the solution is to find a way to make your brain and your body a calm place to live. Yeah, then where do you start? So I think I also love what you said about like, you just had to decide to give yourself permission to to mm-hmm. do to start the podcast, right? I think the other thing for high achievers that we really have to to acknowledge when we want to do something different, even if it's just be calmer and work with our brain and body in a different way, is it's going to be a process and we're probably not going to be great at it at first. And that doesn't mean anything is wrong with us or that we're a failure. Oh, no. Or that, like something has gone wrong, right? And so to start to create calmness in your brain and body, this goes back to something you said too, is the tools and increasing awareness of yourself, right? When we talked about the boss, mm-hmm. you know, the this appointment in your calendar mm-hmm. that says one-on-one and it's Friday afternoon and it's Tuesday morning right now. And you're like, how am I going to get through the week with that on my calendar, right? Is to notice wherever you are, like whenever it is to pause and say like, oh, I'm spiraling about my one-on-one with my boss, right? Oh, I'm consuming podcasts. I'm not creating a podcast. And naming it really in a non-judgmental way, right? We're bringing in that quality of non-judgmental awareness. And when we name it, suddenly we can see it differently. I'm consuming hours of podcasts every week. I'm not producing my own, even though I want to be creating my own. I want to be in that space. Okay, that's totally normal. It's human, right? I accept myself for that. What am I trying to avoid feeling by not creating it? Or what feeling am I creating by continuing to consume? And so without... Wait, say that again. Say that again, because I think think that's really important. What am I trying to avoid? Super important. What am I trying to avoid? So what feeling am I trying to avoid? So for you, maybe, or somebody else who maybe wanted to create a podcast, it would, I don't want to feel like a failure. I don't want to be embarrassed because somebody listens to it and says it's bad. I don't want to maybe succeed and suddenly I'm really visible and that feels scary Mm -hmm. or somebody Mm -hmm. I know finds out about it, right? Oh my God. Still still to this day, I have to work on that one. (laughs) Right. So there are all these things that like we want to avoid. And then the other, the flip side of that, which often I don't think we think about is what feeling am I trying to create by avoiding doing it? So for instance, by continuing to consume podcasts, you're trying to create the feeling of safety because consuming and learning is usually a place where high achievers and a lot of people feel really comfortable. We're usually really great at school. We were good at learning. Learning is like, I'm good. Like I don't need to do anything else. I'm just need to learn a little bit more. I need one more course on podcasting. Right. Yep. Yep. (laughs) You're trying to create. So the safety is usually a big one, the comfort, the like the, you get into, I use this passive action and active action. So staying in passive action is generally really safe. It feels like you're taking action towards creating a podcast by consuming lots of them, but you're not actually taking Mm -hmm. the steps that feel scary. Mm -hmm. So almost everything we do, we're either trying to create a feeling or avoid a feeling, usually both in some measure. And so understanding that with the awareness is really key for calm and then giving yourself permission to do what you want to do in the world. And how do we do that? How do we give ourselves permission? So after you've noticed, right? So we have to we have to start with the noticing and the naming, right? And the acceptance of this is okay, right? It's okay that I've been consuming podcasts for five years or 10 years instead of creating one. I give myself that acceptance. Mm. And then you start to get curious 
about what would it take to start moving forward, right? What's one step that I might take? And can I pair that safety that we talked about earlier? Can I create safety in my body and taking just one step forward? So for instance, if it was podcast, it might be researching like a podcasting hosting app, right? Or Mm -hmm. how like the steps to creating a podcast, right? Even just starting that, for instance, if somebody Mm -hmm. was trying to like become more financially literate, a very easy first step might be, I'm just going to check in with my bank accounts every day for the next month for 30 seconds, right? And I'm going to create safety while I do this one small thing. And your brain will tell you it's not a big enough step. Yeah. But it is. And you said create safety while I do this first action, which looks like... Which could look like anything, right? Oftentimes when we're high achievers or planners, we also have like 87 steps laid out. Yeah, And we kind of won't start because (laughs) step number 85 feels like a little bit iffy. We're not sure how we're going to be able to do it. What I like to take people back to is like, what are 10 possible first steps or five possible first steps? And can I create safety in going forward with one of them? And when you say creating safety, what does that look like? So even just saying that I am safe, like we talked about before. Okay. Okay. Sure. Sure. So 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 when you're doing it, even saying to yourself, it's safe to start researching podcast hosting apps, right? Or software, mm, right? It's yeah. safe to start researching the kind of microphone I want to use. It's mm-hmm. safe to start thinking about whatever, right? And telling yourself that, like I have your back. And then the other thing I like to pair that with, and this is, again, can be really hard for high achievers, is celebrating the really small wins. Mm. So for instance, if somebody wanted to study for a big test and they're having trouble even sitting down to do it because maybe they haven't been in school in a while and it feels intimidating, they're afraid they're going to fail at it, they might say, tomorrow I'm going to sit down for five minutes and open the books. Right. And on cognitively, we're all like, well, that's not going to do anything. Five minutes. Like, geez. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what a waste of time. But if it doesn't feel safe to study, then you're never going to do it. Right. Your primitive brain will always kind of push away from it. So the first time you do it, it's reminding yourself it's safe for me to sit down. It's okay. I know this feels scary. Kind of like you might talk with a with a toddler or a young child. I know this feels scary. Mm. I'm here with you. It's okay opening the books for five minutes. And then at the end, and I had a post about this recently too, treating yourself like an app would treat you, like Duolingo would treat you after you learned one new vocabulary word in the language you're learning, right? You're like, you did it. You're amazing. You sat down for five minutes. I'm so proud of you. In whatever way feels really like you're learning to become this person. Like you did it this time, make it sound fun for yourself so that your brain is like, well, studying wasn't so bad. It felt safe doing it. I felt okay. I didn't get shamed afterwards. It didn't feel... Mm -hmm hard. So maybe I can take the next step in studying or creating the podcast or whatever it is that somebody wants to do, right? I can start to to build, to become the person who is showing up in this way, um, Mm -hmm. step by step. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, I think the other piece with high achievers is we want it immediately. Like we want to flip the switch. We want to like, I didn't have a podcast and all of a sudden I want to be like a famous podcaster. And now I have one that's established. Yeah. 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 Right. And we don't want to go through. Oh, it's so true. Right? That like awkward growing phase, right? Like, I just want it to be easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if it's not easy, there's something wrong with me. Exactly. Or it means like I'm not supposed to do it. Or it means that this is right. for me, right? Like, oh, this just isn't my thing, right? Mm-hmm. Versus like, okay, I know this is going to be hard. It's going to take a while. 
I'm going to do it slowly. And I know that if I keep showing up for the podcast, I will actually have a podcast, right? It will be something Mm -hmm. that's out in the world and you'll be interviewing people on it and other people will be listening and they'll enjoy it and you'll still be safe and still be showing up to do it, right? Yeah, it's so true. I I think in some ways, actually, it's really interesting. I can unpack a little bit of what I did to get out of my own way that follows your path, noticing and naming, acknowledging that I just kept saying, I want a podcast, I want a podcast, and then accepting that I was avoiding it because I didn't really want to be seen. I didn't want to experience the embarrassment if my husband were to listen to it and be like, oh my gosh, or if my boss were to find out, you know, like, how would I navigate those things? Those things would be terrible. And then being curious about what it would take to create safety in my body or to move forward with 10 possible first steps. You know, in a lot of ways, I use the phrase medium lady because I didn't want to use my name. Yeah. And that created a sense of safety for me was to call myself medium lady, which is a joke because my son at the time said, hey, mom, you're a medium lady. And I said, what? Why? And he said, because you're not a young lady and you're not an old lady. You're a medium <laughs> lady. And I was like, done. It's great. I loved it. So I've, I've been using that ever since. But a lot of it created a safe space for me to kind of play and mess around yeah. and find authenticity without necessarily keeping other people comfortable. Yeah. Which was really, really important. But I wouldn't have used the word safety until this conversation, I think. Right. But that's exactly what you did, right? You you created something for your brain where it was like, okay, now I can proceed forward. This feels less threatening to me as a human being. Um, I think the other thing you did that I kind of left out too is actually deciding. Um, like you committed to making a podcast probably at some point. You were saying, I want it, I want it, mm. I want it. And then you probably at some point were like, no, I'm doing it, right? I'm, I'm not going to try to do it. I'm going to do it. And a lot of times we kind of, as humans, will stay in this, I'm going to decide to try, which actually means we've already committed to kind of backing out versus saying like, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of burning the boats story that people say, you know, people get to a shore, they burn the boat so they can't go back. It's like, now I'm going to create a podcast. Like I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure out how to make this happen for me. I think for me, a lot of that came out of some like really distressing times. Creating Medium Lady came out of this postpartum depression. Creating the podcast in a lot of ways came out of a huge amount of burnout after I went back to work. Mm. Um, and I it sort of felt like and I don't want to use hyperbole, but in a lot of ways, it was like, I'm going to do this or I'm going to die. Yeah. You know, like it was it felt very desperate. And I think yeah. that that's also a spot where I wouldn't want other fellow creative people. I wouldn't want other people who are rebuilding their identity or trying to make their brains a calm place to be to do that because it feels like life or a life or death situation. It wasn't a life or death situation, but it really, to me, like I felt like I was against the ropes and it was either like go or give up. Yeah. And that came out of a lot of suffering, you know? So I don't know, like generally when people reach out to be coached by you, where do they sort of find themselves in the, like the high highs and the low lows of it all? It's so interesting. I think that people, a lot of people come to me when they've reached their kind of rock bottom in some way. And like I'm saying, I'm using air quotes there around rock bottom because 
it's often not what we would see in a Hollywood movie as rock bottom, but things mm. suddenly feel untenable for them, right? Mm-hmm. They've been able to use shame to motivate themselves for deadlines for the last 20 years, and all of a sudden it's not working anymore, and mm-hmm. they feel scared that suddenly something's broken in their brain. You know, they've they've gone and, and worked and worked, and they've tried to do as much as they can by themselves, but it, suddenly whatever they've been doing hasn't been working anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so now it's like, all right, I'm ready to try a different path. I do get occasionally people who are just like, I want to try a different path because I'm curious and this isn't working. But oftentimes people are like, okay, I'm here. I feel I felt really stuck for the last 10 years or the last year has felt miserable. Like I need to do something yeah. else because it's just not working anymore or I just don't want to feel this way in my life anymore. Mm. Where do you find people resisting your coaching? Because high achievers are usually really well defended. Oh, totally. <laughs> I'm talking about myself mostly, but you know, if I would never admit to the successes I've had in my life. But I would also tell you if you were coaching me, I would tell you that all of the successes I have had are because I am the way that I am. Yeah, I think I think that that can also be one of the hardest things for people is to try something different. Because again, if you are a high achiever, you've had some success from the path you've been on. Like, And I'll even talk about myself. I used a lot of willpower and shame to motivate myself to exercise, for instance. And it was pretty successful. Mm. Like it felt terrible, Mm -hmm. but I was successful (laughs) at it, right? Like I worked out really regularly. I was very regimented in that way, which again is why I presented as someone who had it all together. But on the inside, it felt horrible. And so what I, when I am met with resistance, usually it's just asking someone like, do you like how this feels? Do you want to keep doing this? Because there's no Mm. right or wrong answer, right? Nobody needs to change. They can continue doing whatever they're doing if they want to. Oh, that's interesting. But it's, it's, do you want to keep feeling the way you feel, right? Because you could keep doing it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You don't have to make the shift. But then it becomes like, do you want to keep feeling the way you're feeling? And if you don't, then what if we just try a different path for a little while and see how it works. Mm, I think that that is probably what was at the crux of me starting the podcast is I just didn't want to feel the way I was feeling anymore, which was sort of like I had it in me to do a podcast and I wasn't doing it. And I was starving that side of myself by not doing it. And I didn't want to feel that I was letting that curiosity just kind of shrivel and shrink and go un- unfed. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did not like how that felt. <laughs> right. And so a lot of us will have those moments on our own. And sometimes we need someone else to help us see our brains, which I think is where coaching kind of comes in. Right. So a lot of us can do these things by ourselves. They might take longer. They might not be as much fun as doing it with somebody else or in like a container that's supportive. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's about seeing the path you're on and what you're creating with your behaviors and thoughts and feelings and asking, do I want to keep doing this? Do I like what this is bringing into my life? Would I rather feel different? Yeah, that's pretty powerful just in and of itself. I was just going to say that I think a lot of times people too with the resistance is the work that I do is very cyclical or circular in a way, like we're in a labyrinth almost instead of like Mm -hmm. a linear path. Like we're not going from A to B in a linear way. We're kind of going around maybe even in like a spiral. And so people get to see how these stories and beliefs impact them over and over again. And suddenly if somebody is sort of resistant to something, when they see it for the 
second time or the 20th time or the 42nd time, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I actually don't like that. (laughs) I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Right. Or no, I really love this one. I want to keep it. Right. I want to keep this thought. Interesting. And I think that goes back to what you said about committing to the fact that when you are ready to make a change that you're going to probably experience a process. It's not going to necessarily, as you commit to change, it's not going to be perfect. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's not going to be immediate. You're going to be going around and around a little bit. Yeah. Or spiraling. I like the idea of spiraling because it suggests that you're not returning to the same place again. Right. That you might be seeing it in a three-dimensional kind of way, seeing the same thing, but maybe from a slightly lower or higher part on the spiral. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have a slightly different perspective on it. You, you know, have maybe learned more about yourself or more about your life or your world. And so now you're making a differently informed decision than maybe you would have been a week ago or a month ago or a year ago. All of this is so, so fascinating, Cecilia. I feel like I could continue to talk to you for hours. But but let's talk a little bit more about you. For those who aren't following Cecilia, we'll put Cecilia's Instagram handle and contact in the show notes. I really love how creative your content is. And I'm really curious about how you find balance between coaching, parenting, home life, and and creating this content. How do you do that? First of all, thank you. That's such a nice compliment. Um, I have sort of self-imposed time limitations on different parts of my life. Mm. Um, Part of it is where we live and how we parent. So Mm -hmm. I generally work for about half of each day. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have time to kind of practice and move my body in the morning. And then I work for a number of hours. And then I also parent for a number of hours. And my husband works during that time. So we kind of like switch off parenting and Mm -hmm. working. Um, And so I have, which I think this is very helpful for my brain, is I have a limited amount of time to create content and to coach. Mm. How I like to think about content, when I first started showing up in this space and as a content creator, people talk about creating content all the time. I kind of rub against that word a little bit because it feels, I don't disconnected to me from me in some way. And what I like to think of it as I'm creating value and the value can either be for me or it can be for one other person, or it can be for a thousand other people or 10,000 other people, but I'm creating something of value in the world. It's something I need to hear. I think one other person might benefit from, and it feels true to me. And it feels from a place of love in me as a person. Mm. And so I don't use content creation calendars. I don't (laughs) pre-record, like I don't pre-do anything for my content. Most of it's like the same day, which is why I also have typos and things like that in them. But as a as a result, it feels really authentic to me. Mm-hmm. And I think the authenticity also then feels creative, right? It's like, this is an authentic yeah. idea to me today. It's not like, oh, now, now I must create 30 posts on self-discipline for like everybody, right? It's like, okay, what do I want to say about it today? Mm-hmm. Or how could I practice saying it in a different way that might land with somebody who it hasn't landed with before? And that feels really inspiring to me as a person. And because I kind of put a time constraint on it and work with that safety, like it's safe for me to create content, then it goes pretty smoothly. So for instance, when I I do reels usually out in nature, Mm -hmm. and when I first started them, I thought everyone, reels were like the hot thing and we needed to do reels. And I was like, well, I'm never, I don't have time to dance in front of a camera or like lip sync (laughs) and I don't have any time to edit them and I don't have any interest in doing that. So how could I make it 
that feels real to me. Well, I could talk to the camera. I was like, well, that sounds awful and miserable. Like, I don't want to talk to a camera. And I was like, you know what? It could be okay. I could just record myself like a minute of me sharing an idea. That doesn't sound so bad. And I'm going to be terrible at it at first. And it's going to feel so awkward. I have to do it in three takes. Usually I do it in one. But I have, so I think about it for a little bit and then I just do it and then that's it. <laughs> I don't overthink it because I've put the time limit on myself. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really great. And I love everything that you post. I'm like, oh, save that. Oh, I want to come back to that. Oh, yeah. Totally resonates with me. And um, I think whatever you're doing is really working for you. And I like the idea of the way that you created a safe space for you to share your voice because I think. That's the most important value add for me as someone external consuming your content is seeing your face show up in nature and you're just kind of like straight shoot talking in a way that's very digestible. It's not too high minded. It's not it's like meaty and weighty in a lot of ways. And um, so I'm I'm often curious about people's behind the scenes content creation because we all are kind of playing in the space of adding value. Yeah. While also perhaps if we if we're high achievers, we could be very worried by the vanity metrics or the algorithm or whatever else might kind of get in our way of having success. Yeah, um, you mentioned the algorithm earlier. And I actually like to think of the algorithm as this really beautiful, magical thing that can like deliver whoever (laughs) needs to see my message, right? And so that's how I choose to think about the algorithm. Mm -hmm. Like the algorithm can help bring whoever would benefit from what I'm saying to me. And so I'm thankful for the algorithm. And I will be totally honest that I spend almost zero minutes looking at any kind of metrics or data. Like I do not <laughs> look at them at all. I don't like, I like every now and then I'll notice like, you know, Instagram will tell me like this post is doing better than normal. And I'll be like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why. But yeah. I have to resist the urge to get too into it because I know that it wouldn't, I don't think it would be really healthy for me. And I don't think it would be healthy mm-hmm. for how I show up because then I would start to kind of play to the algorithm. And I actually saw mm-hmm. a post from somebody this morning that says, the usually the more you play to your algorithm, the less you're playing to your audience, the less you're helping yeah. people. And so if I just stay in that space of like, I'm trying to provide value to at least one person today, it helps keep me really connected to what I'm doing, which I think is the most important thing for me. Yeah, I love that. I think it's a message I've been needing to hear because I I also have to resist the urge. And I appreciate you saying that you do have to consciously resist it. It's not just like, oh, I don't care. So I don't look at those kinds of things. It's like, no, I just like doesn't serve me in my message. And I have been feeling that lately. I have been feeling and I think also because I see November as like my birthday of content creation. And I'm always sort of, you know, I love to look back, but I have been feeling lately, like, where should I be doing more? Where should I be achieving more? And in comparison to other people, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a message I needed to hear today. And I'm sure there are people listening who also needed it. I'm so happy. And you know what, I'll tell you that every time I've had a post kind of like every time I've increased in some way and like number of views or like followers or something, it's always been when I've come back to sufficiency for myself and be like, I have everybody I need in my audience. I'm reaching Mm. all the people I need to reach. I'm totally Mm -hmm. okay right now. Right. Because then I'm coming from this total place of like, I'm not feeling graspy to the algorithm. I'm not feeling graspy to my to whoever's following me for likes or comments or things like that. It's really, truly like I'm sufficient. I don't need anything. Now I can share my message in this really powerful way. Mm. Um, And I think it just comes across in a much different way too. when we're not like, Mm -hmm. but like me, like me, like me, right? Give me that external validation. Definitely. Definitely. For sure. Absolutely. Cecilia, we're going to wrap up, which I'm sad to say, but 
What's one thing you'd like the entire audience to take away from this episode? I'd like you to take away the belief that you can feel calm in your life, that it's entirely possible for you to build these skills, to build the awareness and the safety, and feel really different in the exact life that you have. Believe you can feel calm in the life that you already have. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Cecilia, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Yeah, so really, truly so much fun. Yeah, I love these kinds of interviews. And I so appreciate your content and what you're putting into the world. So thank you for having me. Oh, that's great to hear. Cecilia, if people are interested in learning more about you, where are all the places they can find you? Yeah, so the best place to find me is on Instagram. And I'm at Cecilia B. Mandrick, which I'm sure will be in the show notes because mm-hmm. I'm have a C-E-C-E, Cecilia. So that's the the place where I show up most often. I do workshops pretty regularly that are oftentimes free. And so I always encourage people to join those or join my email list. Um, and then I have a group that I've been running a couple times this year, but starting in full in January. So if you're thinking like, this is me, I want to do this work, I want to be in a community that's doing this work, make sure you head over to my email list and join that so you'll get more details. Um, Because there'll be a nice founder special around the first week of December. And then January, we kind of get going as a big group, which is very exciting. I'm so thrilled about this group. It's going to have somatic coaching and uh, mindset coaching each week, plus like modules that you can go go through and it's lifetime access. So you can keep being in this calm space over and over again. So I'm really trying to create like a home for folks who want to feel calmer in their lives. I love that. And how do people get your email list? I can provide a link, but my website is the same. It's www.ceciliabmandrick.com. And there's uh, there are places there that you can join it. All right. We will all be heading there to get more of that. And it's always nice to be even be thinking about January now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> to like create it. that like, I know it's amazing where we are in the year. This These last two months always go so quickly and thinking about maybe it could be the year where you actually like start the thing that you want to be starting, right? The podcast or, you know, the side business or get the promotion or whatever it is you want to do instead of just thinking about it for another year. And that's kind of where that's the aim with the create calm. So then you can create what you want in your life. I think you're appealing to so many people, especially in in this current these current times for sure. Yeah. Thank you for listening today, Cecilia. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. We know that your time is precious to you. And we really appreciate you spending a bit of your focus and energy on this podcast today. My name is Erin. I'm really thrilled to have had my guest Cecilia with me today. We want you to remember you're doing such a good job. Cecilia, you're doing such an amazing job. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I am your host, Erin. This is Medium Lady Talks, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Medium Lady Talks, created and produced by me, Erin Vandeman. If you want more of the general vibe, gratitude, and encouragement from this episode, please come and find me on Instagram at medium.lady. And since you've made it to the end, I'd love to get to know you even better. Screenshot this episode so you can share it on Instagram and be sure to tag me so that we can chat. Thanks for listening. Remember, you're doing such a good job. Your place in this world can only be filled by you. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.